look, my cheerlead is, if you love your children, you will find out how. You will learn how, and you'll get it figured out, and, and you will be successful. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, this is our Homeschool 101 episode. We do these every 10 episodes on the fives, and so we are fortunate today. I'm so excited. I know. We often have guests on our podcasts, and the last time we did this, we had Yvette Hampton in the studio with us because she, she lives locally, and she and her husband are the ones that produced and directed the homeschool documentary, Schoolhouse Rocked. So it was very fun to have her in the studio here. And she is actually good friends with someone that you're good friends with who also happens to be in town, although she doesn't live in the area. And that is Sam Sorbo. So welcome, Sam. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, she doesn't live here yet. But look at all the people that are finding Tulsa a great place to be. Well, Sam, I met you trying to figure out how many years. I think it's got to be at least 10, 12 at a Chia convention in California. Yep. We were on stage together kind yeah. of by accident. Yeah. Uh, a panel discussion. Someone was talking, and, and I was sitting next to you, and we had these little side comments. Between during, the two of us, yeah. During this thing, I thought, <laughs> she is one of the most interesting people I've ever sat next to. I thought, he's rude to the speaker just like I am. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> But uh, since then, we've we've kind of bumped into each other, stayed in touch a little mm-hmm. bit. But having you here is a huge blessing. And just because some people may not recognize your name, give us the super brief bio. You've been model, actress. Now you're author, commentator. You have also a relatively well-known husband. Relatively well-known <laughs> in his own mind. So, yeah, my husband is uh, Kevin Sorbo, played Hercules on the number one show in the world for four years running. The show, the show ran longer than that, so he was Hercules for longer than that. But it was it was uh, number one for four years. And, and maybe maybe longer, actually. I'll confess, I did not see any of those. Uh, but I did see, was it God is Not Dead? God's Not Dead starred Kevin Sorbo. And uh, yeah, he knocked that one out of the ballpark. That was a very, very successful film. And then, of course, Let There Be Light is the film that we did uh, together that uh, I'm very proud of. I co-wrote it, and he directed it, and we both co-starred in it. And um, it's now available. It's now streaming online. So you can watch it online, or you can order a DVD, or you can go to our website. And if you order any book off of the Sorbo Studios website, we will automatically include a free DVD of Let There Be Light. Super. And we will link to all of that in the show notes, of course, because we really would like people to have uh, access to all that. So... You got on this pathway to writing a book about homeschooling, but you had to sacrifice, if you want to use that word, a career, essentially, to make that choice to be full-time mom, right? So to be clear, 
I sacrificed my acting career, but I didn't stop working. So yes, uh, the, the sacrifice was to not be away from my children. And I look at sacrifice as a wonderful thing. Uh, we sacrifice every single day. Everybody makes sacrifices. They just don't admit them because they think that they're just making a better choice. But every time you choose something over something else, you're sacrificing the something else. And it was a, it was an easy choice for me. I chose my children over my career at that time. And since then, God has completely redeemed my career in ways unimaginable. So, so yeah, I don't, cons- you know, I do call it a sacrifice because I want people to understand that's that's what we're called to do. We're called yes. to make sacrifices. Yes, I love that. And so your children were young mm-hmm. when you started. I think your oldest was second grade. Give us that quick little story of how you got this idea you might have to take them out of where they were. Well, the school was falling down on the job. I had ideas about what education should look like, and they were not accomplishing those And in the process of discovering that they weren't accomplishing things, I realized that it was incumbent upon me to do some of the stuff. And that actually was homeschooling. (laughs) When you do when you do homework with your child, you are homeschooling. Mm -hmm. You're just doing it at the end of the day when everybody's tired and cranky and hungry. And that's a recipe for disaster. It is not a recipe for a a healthy, vibrant relationship with your child. It's a it's a recipe for an adversarial relationship with your child. And I thought, well, I need this like another hole in the head. So <laughs> I just, I, I purposed to try homeschooling for a semester. And over the course of the summer, I conditioned my children to be receptive to the idea. I actually started when, when Braden was still in school and I would pick him up from school and I'd say, do you have homework? And he'd say yes. And I, I'd say, oh, that's too bad. Because if you were homeschooled, you wouldn't have any homework <laughs> right now. You'd be done. <laughs> And so I positioned him to be very eager to get into the homeschooling thing. And um, frankly, uh, that that worked like a charm. And then I tried it on over the summer. Well, we, we would always do workbooks over the summer. And I'm like, well, that's homeschooling too. So I just sort of was a little bit more intentional about it. And I figured out that it's it's just a great gift. And the, really the big hiccup was my own feelings of inadequacy. Which, frankly, were engendered by the school system. Yeah, I've I've heard you say how it's easy for parents to be made to feel like they don't know anything and they're not experts and they can't do that. Was uh, Kevin fully supportive from the get-go or a little skeptical or how did that fit? So the story that I tell is that I said to Kevin, I think – I think we got to pull the kids out of school. And he said, "Okay, well, what about the Christian school down the street? And I said, well, okay, that's $30,000 a year in tuition. And he said, well, how about homeschooling? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't quite like that. Um, He was was a little bit skeptical. His father was a teacher, Mm. lifelong teacher, you know. Um, his mother was a school nurse at at you know for for a good portion. So and Kevin had a fantastic experience in school all the way through. Mm. So it was anathema to him to think of his kids not going to school. But it was very quick that he understood uh, that with the kids home and him traveling, boy, when he came home, he got daddy time. Whenever he wanted, anytime mm-hmm. during the day. You want to run errands with dad? Okay, we can do our schooling later. Mm-hmm. And that was back when I was pretty litigious about getting the schoolwork done. And I've since learned 
a, a few more lessons <laughs> since then, and I've grown as a as a quote unquote educator. Um, and so part of my mission is to try to take the onus off of parents. And so I no longer even call it homeschool because it's not home and it's not school. And it's it's home education, but I came up with a better word. So I call it self-teaching mm-hmm. because ultimately you won't learn anything that you don't decide to learn. Yeah. So ultimately you are the arbiter of whether you learn something or not. Therefore, you are your own teacher. And I like the idea of, of labeling it self-teaching because that means parents don't have the onus of becoming a teacher, which has its own sort of baggage and um, – you know, you're not qualified. Yeah, I, I don't have to be qualified to self-teach my my child, mm-hmm. right? But what qualifies you as a teacher? Uh, nothing. So leave me alone. I'm not teaching them. They're self-teaching. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it takes the onus off parents, but it also enables the child to to have autonomy, to step up to the plate, to take ownership of their own education. And so you ask a, a young child, you know, where do you go and where do you go to school? And instead of saying, well, I'm homeschooled, their answer is, oh, I'm, I'm self-taught. Yeah. It, that's so important, too, is to help kids get the language they need to explain their situation honestly to people who inquire. And so you're homeschooled. I'm self-taught. Yeah, that, that is a well. You know me. I'm really big into language, which yeah. is a lovely segue. Yes, that it you is managed. because when I met you, you either <laughs> had been for a while, or I got the impression you were newly excited, kind of about the classical model world and yes. looking at the uh, the liberal arts yes. and the development of students. And uh, I remember hearing you once talk beautifully about uh, logic. And mm. teaching that Latin, I know you taught mm. some Latin, or mm-hmm. you learned Latin with your That's students. Correct. That's what most of us end up doing, since yes. we don't know it. We're not born with it. So, could we just briefly touch on uh, grammar, importance of grammar? That's sure. of course a big, you know, thing in the schools. Why bother? Grammar isn't useful. It doesn't make you a better writer. And then you go so far as to saying teaching grammar is racist and lies, 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 lies. Boy, we have killed liberal arts. I mean, they, they have killed liberal arts, like slayed it, cut it into pieces. Of course, all of that is lies. Grammar is so important. And I discovered this. So I knew my grammar. I was never like an idiot about grammar. I learned it because I was a very, I was a good student in the, in the sense that I followed all the rules and I colored it in the lines and I checked all the boxes and I, right. So I learned grammar, but I didn't learn it enough, enough to teach it as an adult in the sense that I'd forgotten it all by the time I had kids. And so I had a grammar program and you start grammar with subject, noun, verb, and just, you just parse the sentence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you're doing is you're putting, you're putting things in their proper place, you're categorizing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the grammar program that we did had the kids categorizing things like animals and plants. You part of, It started with cut photos out of magazines and then categorize them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, that's a furniture. So that goes in the furniture column with pictures. So it starts with the idea that there is a there's a place for everything. There's an organization. There's an overarching organization. 
And then it, it hones in on language to show children there's an organization to language. And that is so important because children learn language by immersion. So just verbally, they just verbally learn language. And so they so their impression is there's no real organization because it just comes at them, they learn it, and then it's there. But it is extremely organized. When you show children that language has order, that is tremendously comforting to a child. Mm. We want to know that the sun's going to come up the next day. We want to know that there are patterns that we can rely on. If, if, if we didn't know the sun was coming up the, tomorrow, uh, the whole world would be petrified. Right. When there's a break in order, we have fear. Mm -hmm. And so you, you teach children that there's order in language. And frankly, that's a that's a reflection of God mm -hmm. in a sense, because you're teaching them that there's order in language. Therefore, there's order in the world because that it, it expands. It's a, it's a it's a fractal model. Well, and the natural extension of that is the the logos or the governing principles. Right. Of all things. Right. From whence we get our word logic. Right. And the study of logic. Right. It's it's like the expansion from the more micro level of words and sentences into the more macro level of concepts and validity. And, and so and that's right? So the mathematical word is fractals. Fractals. And you are a scientist by primary training, are you not? Yes. Yeah. And you have a couple science loving kids, I believe. I do. Yeah. Well I have one anyway. And and you know I I have this talk on music where I talk about the balance between order and chaos and how the highest and best music, like Bach and Mozart, they, they have this structure that underlies, but this continuous variation that is engaging. Yes. If you have music with order and no variety, it's monotony. Right. right? If you have variety and no order, it's total chaos. chaos. Sure. And so the art is in the balance yes. there. And in fact, the the best artists, they know all the rules, and then they dance right on the edge. Mm -hmm. And that's the most exciting art to see. Ski racers. Ski racers understand all of the, the, the rules of gravity and the rules of skiing and uh, gliding across the snow. And then they balance right on the edge, and that's when it gets very exciting to watch the ski races, yeah. right? And, you know, we, we want our children... so. My children learn piano, but I insisted that they learn the um, music theory because music theory is the order that's underlying all the music. Yeah. So, um, and music, of course, is how we worship God, right? And, of course, we have these buzzwords, everybody in the world of education, public, private, secular, Christian, they all want critical thinking. Yeah, and how many of them know what it is? That That's the <laughs> funny part is so many people use these words, but they either don't know or they don't really want to know. And so I think, you know, you've made some really good points <laughs> along the way. I will say this. The world that we're living in today is proof that there are a lot of people who don't know what critical thinking is. <laughs> and... So what was it that attracted you to the whole kind of classical approach to homeschool? Because you came in kind of not knowing much of what was out there, I would This guess. is absolutely true, and I wasn't classically trained at all, and um, I didn't ever learn music theory to boot. I read a book. I was, I was referred to, is it Margaret Weisbauer? 
Mm-hmm. Susan Weisbauer. Susan mm-hmm. Weisbauer, who wrote... The Well-Trained Mind. There you go. Yeah. And I read it, and I thought, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because classical education applies logic to the brain, and God created brains, therefore there must be logic mm-hmm. involved. And so when you start to apply the logic, and it makes sense... And you know the poll parrot, right? The the parrot phase where the kids just repeat everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I've I've experienced that. So sure. that's true. So what else here is true? So it just it so resonated when it's the right chord, when it is the truth, it resonates. And you get that tingly feeling and you mm-hmm. go, "Oh, that's that makes sense." So and then I had to kind of back off cuz the book is sort of like Martha Stewart. <laughs> yes. For homeschooling. And so, you know, there there is that. You, you will never, ever do all of the things that you could do that right. are mentioned in that book. Right. And so then navigating, choosing, prioritizing. Right. Now, you're, you've, you've talked a lot about how your kids have really different strengths. Yes. And they are now, the oldest is 20. <laughs> yes, 17 and 16. And 16, all pretty close together. Yes. And, and you've nurtured them through, really, into adulthood. And yes, my young, my young, my young adults are actual adults. Yeah, I talked about this today in the in the conference, how infantilized we've become as a culture. And you know, my daughter, I well, let's see, I don't want to throw people under the bus, but you know, she has said to me on occasion, and my sons also, they're just so young, mommy. Right. Even when they were younger. They were saying that, that their friends were just so young, yeah. just so juvenile compared to where they where they were. And that's because I've been raising adults since they were young. You, you tuned in early enough, it seems, to really maximize the opportunity for customizing, individualizing their experience during their childhood in terms of educational opportunities. And, you know, that's one of the things that... Um, we see people come out of an institution that's kind of having everybody do everything in the same way, according to the same schedule, presumably to get the same results and generally fail. Uh, but but then it's there's a fear that parents have, I think, to say, well, what if he just really wants to dive in and do this all day long? I, is that okay? What will will he miss? Well, we'll yeah. have quote the. You know, we have to cover all the bases. Mm. And I always say to moms, don't even think about covering all the bases because if you do, it'll be a disaster. You'll be a mile wide and a quarter inch deep and you'll mm. almost nothing about everything. Mm. But uh, you've, you've Jack told of all me trades, master a couple of stories, that. one about your daughter and her her talent in art yes. that came out early on. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's she's phenomenally talented in art to to – and and here's the thing. She's also phenomenally talented in writing. She does she does word combinations that I only dream of ever being able to to approach. You know, um, and sometimes her words are wrong. They're the wrong words because she looked them up and she's trying out mm-hmm. new words. And and that's awesome. Like yeah. I I applaud that. And every time I correct her, I tell her you have to understand. And one thing that I've done with her um, because I know that. You know, correcting a child can be discouraging for the child, and I don't want it to be discouraging. And so I've had to tell her, you know, you're light years ahead of both of your brothers, which is true. It's not a lie. They didn't have the interest to put to put words together. Now, mind you, my 20-year-old's already written his first and published his first book. 
So it's not that he doesn't write. It's that he he doesn't have the artistry of language that she simply mm-hmm. has like in she has more in her little pinky just naturally because she has that she has that artistic you know savoir faire i don't it's just this quality that she has well, that she the, may also write and publish her first book by she, the age she, of her older she's, mother she's working on her novel mm. and you know how she started the novel she drew her main character mm. because because she expresses herself in art and then and now she's working on the story <laughs> but but he already exists in time and space in a sense cuz there's that image of him on her instagram account so yeah when when she was uh very young i realized that what, your children are uniquely gifted and we are told by the school that they should be common that's what common core is yeah. I, you know, I'm so I'm so staunch now. I hear the words, and I at this point I'm like, I don't care. I'm just speaking truth. The school wants your child to be just like everybody else. They seek conformity. That's what schools do. That's how you manage a class of a large size. And so my mission is to get kids out of out of out of the schools because kids are uniquely talented, and I think that we are squandering our human resources by trying to make children conform to everybody else. You talk about critical thinking. If, if you learn, and this is what you learn in school, you learn that the teacher has all the answers and your job is to find out the answers from the teacher and then re- reiterate them on the test. You will never learn critical thinking because that actually is the pathway to shut down your thinking. Mm-hmm. So, so all this to say... I told my daughter if she really liked to do art, she should purpose to do 15 minutes a day. So she did three hours a day. (laughs) That's how that works, right? Self-teaching. Right. And she became her own best teacher. And so I told this story that I was at my wit's end. I didn't know how to teach her. And it was very clear when she was 11 that, you know, I was sort of out of my depth. And somebody said, we'll find her like an anatomy class. She should learn anatomy. And so I was... I was like, yes, I'll go find a teacher. I'll find the expert because I was still on that treadmill of you got to find an expert. So I ran and I went up to her room and I said, because I kind of you, you I needed her to be along. Right. I said, listen, we should find you an anatomy uh, class. And she pulled out her sketchbook and she showed me two pages of the drawings of a human knee from the inside, you know, in various uh, positions like she was way ahead of me. She was studying anatomy off of YouTube way before mm-hmm. I finally figured that out. And I didn't figure it out. Somebody told me, right? So that's why I came up with this new this new term. It's self-teaching. Your job as a parent is to prepare a launch pad for your child, prepare the child to launch, give them the tools of learning. The tools of learning are how to read because all the answers are in the textbooks to begin with anyway, how to read a textbook and how to apply what you learn in the textbook to whatever the the problem solving that you're given from the textbook and then how to think about that stuff and apply those. So then some some mathematical stuff, they need that grammar and that dialectic. But by the time they reach the rhetoric phase, which is the teenage years, they should be, and by the way, they should be wrestling with you on ideas. Mm-hmm. And boy, that 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 was all very eye-opening. It's been quite a journey for me. Once I figured it out and I realized that we could free people from the slavery of our public education institutions, public school institutions, government institutions, 
it just became my my passion. And you now have written books. The first one was so for homeschooling. My book is called "They're Your Kids." They're your kids, and that that one just talks about my journey. It's been a journey. Um, I felt completely inadequate when I started. It took me a long time to figure out that I was enough because I don't have to know everything as the te- as the teacher. I'm not the teacher. That's self teaching instead, right? And so that's that was the first one. Uh, it was an indictment on the public edu- on government education, on the loss of freedom. On I've had people read the book and they they're like the first part of this book you should just reprint it as a as a call to arms basically mm. for the population because we are so dumbed down now by our own government and and let's let's cover that for just a minute there's an in, enormous conflict of interest with government and education. Because our government is of the people, by the people, and for the people, wherein the power resides with the people. The government has no uh, interest in teaching people that it has no power. And that's why you think, that's why you see all the socialists graduating from school thinking that the government has all this power and demanding that the government do this for them and that for them. You, uh, you have read Gatto. You've mentioned Gatto many times. I've met Gatto and oh. read his books many times. And, you know, it's interesting, when I first saw his book, Dumbing Us Down, mm-hmm. The Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Education, I was so excited because I, I read it and I thought, ha, this explains why I'm so stupid right now. You know, and <laughs> you, you hit that point in life where you realize, wow, I spent a long time in school and what do I really know? And uh, so to help help the kids. The other thing Gatto said that you echo, he said that what every 13-year-old in the world wants more than anything else is real, honest-to-God, meaningful life-and-death responsibility, which is exactly what schools And conversation. And, and taking that one step further, responsibility for themselves. Yes. And I've said to teenagers, I love teaching groups of teenagers because they're so honest. Yes. But one of the things I'll say is, if you want to stop getting bossed around, boss yourself around. The only reason people tell you what to do is because you look like you don't know. And mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a, a nice wake up for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just so nice to see you coming at this kind of with different words, different stories. Mm-hmm. And you tell stories about your kids. I tell way too many stories about my kids. But and then you have a, a newer book. Yes. Tell us about that one. So the the next book that I did is called Teach from Love, and it's a devotional for families. Mm-hmm. And initially it was going to be for homeschoolers, but then I thought, my gosh, who needs to learn virtue more than children in public school who are being taught that there is no God and therefore there is no right and wrong, there is no good and bad, which is, of course, the opposite of God, right? God is truth, beauty, and goodness. And uh, and the discernment thereof, right? That's what we're called to do. Mm. And so I wrote uh, Teach from Love, and it covers um, two godly virtues a week with uh, little stories, little devotional, and then questions that are not yes and no questions for the parents to engage in these conversations with their children. Children want to have meaningful conversations. And they also want to talk about their stuff. But you can have meaningful conversations with your children and when they're when they're 12 and 13 they want to have real meaning mm-hmm. the what is the meaning of life yeah. what am i here for and the you should be engaging your children in that or you're or you're just going to lose them because they, they they need to wrestle with those ideas and if you're afraid to have those conversations then you'll either lose then then you need to buck up 
and stop being afraid. And if you, here's what, what what we also don't understand, right? We 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 are taught that failure is bad. We're taught so many lies in our in our education system, and so if you are afraid that you don't know the answer to something and you admit to your child that you don't know the answer, but you're willing to go find the answer, you're a hero. You're not a failure. Mm -hmm. You're a hero. If you fail, if you fail them in some way, if you make a mistake, but you go to them and you admit that you made a mistake and you apologize and you correct it, you're a hero. You're not a failure. If you don't correct it and they know that you failed, they will be so disappointed in you, and you may not ever be able to ca- capture that back. And sometimes there isn't even the freedom to, to make the corrections. You know, you, you do the thing. You get the test. You write the paper. You get a grade. It's all over. Um, one of the things that I've been trying to cultivate the idea of as people is it's very good to do something again and again and again and again until you get 100%, until it's mm. complete. Mm-hmm. We, we don't in the real world operate as though 86% is good. We, we operate <laughs> as though, no, in a business, that's not acceptable. We keep <laughs> going until we get as close to that perfection level as possible. It's in our name, excellence in writing. Right. Such a, such a good point. And by the way, um, what do you think the definition of proficient is in at least the Ohio school districts? Oh, I was going to go to the Latin profacio, but Ohio? I don't have a clue. 38%. Oh, my. So just change the meaning of the word, and then you'll be able to do literally anything. I'm a a, a successful pilot. I've never flown a plane, but to me, pilot means um, walking. (laughs) (laughs) You you just change the definition of the word. So they they achieve proficiency because for them, it's 38%. So we're probably getting close to the end of our time, but if you... Uh, and I'm sure this happens to you frequently, if you meet someone who says, I just pulled my kids out of school, I really want to homeschool for this or that, whatever reason, right? and I just don't know if I can do it. Yes. What's your two-minute cheerlead for them? Oh, man, it's not two minutes. Yes, you can, and they will show you how. Your children will show you how. And there are so many resources out there mm-hmm. for you to learn how. And look, my cheerlead is, if you love your children, you will find out how. You will learn how, and you'll get it figured out, and and you will be successful. And if you fail, you will apologize, and you'll do better next time. Because what do we do when we make a mistake? We fix it. We don't beat ourselves to a pulp and give up living and then going off ourselves. We fix it. Mm -hmm. So, And that's the greatest thing that you can model for your children. So if you love your children and you do your very best, then you will achieve success regardless. But I really want people to reconsider what they what they think about education. This is my new sort of platform with the self-teaching is you have to reconsider what you think of education. Because if you're looking for success and you define success as Harvard grad school and the corner office at Goldman Sachs, good luck with that. It's no longer the three R's because frankly, the three R's is a lie. It's, it's an R, <laughs> a W, and an A. So it's definitely not the three R's. It's the three F's. And by that, I mean faith, family, and freedom. Mm -hmm. So faith, because faith is your worldview, and your worldview colors everything that you see, okay? Everything that you learn, everything that you know. Everyone has a belief system. That's correct. You you can't exist without a belief system. Family refers to your relationship with the world, 
Mm-hmm. It starts with your family. So cover so their education, what you're trying to accomplish, starts in the family unit. And it will then expand to the world. But if it doesn't start with the family unit, it won't expand to the world. And that's that's the problem is school forms a wedge between the child and the parent. School is the decimation of the family unit. And freedom, well, we all know that knowledge is freedom. Knowledge, the, the, the gift of knowledge is now interchangeable with freedom because then you're free to learn whatever you need. And why, why did the slave masters refuse to allow the slaves to read, to learn to read? Yeah. It's because that would incite freedom. Yes. So it's faith, family, and freedom. Keep your eye on that prize and you can't help but succeed. Good. All right. The quick sum up if people want to find you, all the things you're doing, you've got TV shows, more books. Um, oh, yes. What's the shortcut? Well, watch my show on Epic TV, E P O C H TV, Epoch TV, Epic TV. Um, it's called Schools Out with Sam Sorbo. And just go to my website for everything else, samsorbo.com. There's community there. If you if you click on portfolio, you'll find a community of homeschoolers that I'm that I'm assembling over at um, my Patriot Marketplace to have the conversation. If you're trying, if you're thinking I'm going to start this and I don't know what I'm doing, or maybe you're in the midst of it and you're like, oh man, I'm just totally messing this up. I don't know what to do. You need community. And you can find answers with other people's experiences like mine. That's why you're listening to me because I'm experienced and I've believe that I've been successful. Well, I've been successful. My kids are amazing. So, you know, you can trust me on that, but they're not your kids. You have your kids and your kids are probably most likely different than mine, but maybe they're more similar to someone else's kids. So you seek community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super. Wow. Whew. I know. And I wish we would, we wish we had more time with you, Sam, but I know you have an appointment to keep and a flight to catch and all the things. And we're really grateful for you stopping by our studio today here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And God bless you and your great work that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.